0: When I hear us sing, it touches my heart, I be saying the praise of Jesus. Then we began our service by saying that we're flag-waving Americans. I, I always get tearful because in this moment of history We're in such a pivotal moment and all of us are afraid. All of us are confused. All of us are not sure exactly what we are to do. I fell in love with politics when I was a little bitty guy. My dad would take me to the courthouse in Laurel, Mississippi. And everybody was running for all kind of offices and about three or 400 of the citizens would gather and they'd all speak. All the candidates would stake their position and they'd go on and on and on for many, many hours. They were long winded, not like in my profession. (laughs) Uh, And I would pull my dad down when someone would speak. And I would say, don't vote for him. He just sounds phony to me. I was a little bitty guy. I didn't understand all being said. That's just how I felt. And then a, a lady would speak and I'd say, daddy vote for her. She, she, she's real. She, she really believes what she's saying. And I'd go there for a while and my dad would say, well, we got more speakers, we gotta go home, Edwin. And I'd say, couldn't we stay and just hear a couple more? I don't know why, but I've just, early in my bringing up days, I fell in love with politics. Now, there's three or four problems in the political area. There are a whole bunch of people who would say all politics crooked, politicians are crooked. I don't want to have anything to do with it. If that's your spirit, you are dead wrong. I know a lot of people in the political realm who are there not for the honor or the position or the job, they're there for a sense of calling to serve and make a difference in the public arena. And I thank God for them to say that all politicians are corrupt. That is a sad posture to take. And there's another group who think, well, if we get everybody elected that they think the way I think, it'll just change everything. It'll solve all of our problems. Politics is the answer, so they spend their their time and their money and their energy almost totally in the political realm. Those who are like that, they're wrong too. The answer for America is not going to be solved through voting and even through legislation. So if you think that, you're also mistaken. And then there's another group that says, I'm gonna vote for my party, and I've always voted for this particular party, and I'm always gonna vote for my party, no matter what they stand for. Those who think like that are also wrong and seriously misguided and confused. Now, The question is, what do we do at this moment in history? If we've been awake, we know we live in a post-Christian America. You could book that. And our post-Christian America is rapidly becoming an anti-Christian America. I think we've established that. So what are we to do? Some would say there's never been a time in history like this. And in American history, it's true. But yet, as we look in the Bible, we see is there a parallel? Is there some place there where we can see where a nation, a culture was upside down? The people were moving in the wrong direction? And what was right and what was wrong was totally confused. Was there a moment like that? And there were many, but the moment that came to me was in the days of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, would you say that with me? Fair, let's say it again, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, when you can pronounce that, you can miss Bible study for four, four straight weeks. <laughs> but we turn to the book of Habakkuk and we see the situation that was in the land of God, the land of God's people this moment in history. What had happened? Solomon was king. He had terrible sons. The kingdom of Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and into Judah. And you had two different kingdoms ruled by two different Kings, all were Jews. The Northern kingdom turned away from God and broke the covenant that God made with his peculiar called out blessed people. And they were obliterated. But Judah survived for a hundred more years. And now we see Judah has turned away from God. and, And Paul would have said it clearly He said, they had a form of godliness, but denied the power. They pretended to be godly, but their lifestyle didn't indicate that they were truly servants of the Lord God Almighty. Form without reality. And that's what happened to Judah. And then in this particular situation, here is Habakkuk, who is a seer from God, a prophet. And now he's trying to determine Where is God in all of this? Have you asked God that as we look at America? Where are you, God? What are you up to? What's happening to the land that we love? And that's where Habakkuk was. And he saw that judgment was coming upon Judah, God's judgment. He knew that Judah needed to be judged. Over on the side, parenthetically, I remember Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, if God does not judge the United States, he's going to have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. So I do not know exactly if this is that moment of judgment for us, but we can't overlook that strong possibility. But here we are. What are we to do? And here is a Habakkuk, a prophet from God. He didn't know exactly what to do. He knew that Judah needed to be judged before, because of their immorality and their hypocrisy. And here was godly people who turned away from God. But he looked and he saw the nation that God was going to use to pronounce judgment on Judah. It was the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans Well, they were ISIS on steroids. They really were. They were totally evil and they had swept through the land and obliterated all the people they came in contact with. Geographically, they were located between the Tigris and Euphrates River, Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, right in there. And now they were sweeping from nation to nation, from people to people and burning everything, destroying every semblance of life and now Habakkuk knew that the Chaldeans were going to be used by God to judge Judah. Now, here's the situation he was in. He would say that we need to be judged because we've become godless, but we're going to be judged by the Chaldeans and they are the living example of evil. How can God, Use the Chaldeans who were evil to judge God's people who were just slipping away from him. It doesn't balance. And so he was confused. What did Habakkuk do? He did exactly what you and I need to do in the cultural war in which we find ourselves. Now we have known we are at war but ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand we're not just at war any longer. You and I, we are in the war. Don't miss that. So what do you do? We do exactly what Habakkuk did. Look at it, Habakkuk. Chapter number two, to find Habakkuk, go to Malachi, go five books to the left and you'll run right into it. Last book of the Old Testament, go left, there it is. Habakkuk said, verse one, I will stand on my guard post. I'll go to watchtower and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what God will speak to me and how I will reply when I am reproved, judged. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run, for the vision is yet for the appointed time." What he did, he climbed on a watchtower. What are we to do? We're to climb up on a watchtower. What does that mean? It means we're to get above the fray, we're to climb up upon our own watchtower, and we are trying to see our culture, as God sees it. Oh, if we could see where we are as God sees it. The last verse in this chapter says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Climb up in that watchtower and we get a world view ladies and gentlemen, a biblical worldview. George Barner had a survey and said only 7% of evangelicals have a real biblical worldview. In other words, those of us who believe the Bible is our authority and we seek to understand it as the Word of God, only 7% of us really see the world with a biblical worldview, with a biblical insight, a biblical vision. He so, said, well, I don't know what my worldview is. Everybody here has a worldview. <laughs> every single one of us have a, has a view of the world. We live in accordance with the view of the world. A biblical worldview briefly explains creation, God. Fall, free moral agents, we fell. That's the garden and each and every one of us. And then there's redemption provided as God acted in Jesus Christ. That's a general biblical worldview. And when we get in that particular domain, we begin to see and understand as God sees and God understands. And that's exactly what we need to do. Be still and know him, I am God. Get in a high place. And let him inform and instruct and inspire and direct us at this strategic moment in the life of our land, for that matter, in the life of the world. When Rome fell, everybody thought, well, it's the end of the world. The Roman Empire is falling. The Roman Empire is going out of business. What is the answer? And St. Augustine wrote a book. And he wrote a very incisive book. He called it the city of God. In that book, he contrasts the city of God with the city of man. And Augustine, in that contrast, said exactly what Jesus said in John 17. He says, we as Christians live in the city of man, but our residency is in the city of God. Now, we need to understand that. We need to live like that. We're in the city of man, the secular humanistic world, but our residency is in the city of God, and because we're citizens of that city, we're to make a difference in the city of of man. And we see that illustrated so many ways. A different worldview. Man sees one thing, God's people see entirely different. Therefore, when somebody says, well, in America, we've got to compromise. If you're saying that, we've got to come together. When someone sees the world through different lens and what you and I see the world, there's not many places we can agree. They're just not there. They're just not there. You remember the movie, some of you old enough to remember War of the Worlds. It came out in 1954. And the plot was some aliens came and they attacked the world and the world was losing the battle. We as humans couldn't handle those alien invaders. And so all the world, all the people of the world got together to fight those alien invaders because they were destroying us. And we were losing the war and losing the war and losing the war and losing the war until finally man tried all the nuclear weapons, everything we had we still continue to lose until man began to pray and say, God, there's no way, there's no answer here unless you help us, we'll be totally obliterated. And then God did intervene. And he sent a bacteria, a virus. And those aliens had no resistance for the virus and so they began to die off. And humans won. And humans, when they won the last scene, they go on a mountain and hymns are praying, are playing, and they're praying and they're thanking God that he'd come and saved the world. 40 years later, another movie came out called Independence Day. Same plot, aliens invaded the world. All the world came together begin to fight those aliens, and we were losing and losing and losing, and it looks like the aliens gonna win. But then mankind came up with a war machine, a way to defeat the aliens. And therefore, through war methodology, the world was saved. Man, through his ingenuity, defeated the aliens and wiped them out, and the world was saved. That's 40 years after the War of the Worlds. The War of the Worlds, the only answer was God. Independence Day, the only answer was man. You see the difference in the worldview that's described a little 40-year interval there? So we need to climb up on a tower, and from that tower, we ask God to help us see a long way to understand, to turn our lives over him. That's the first thing we have to do in this cultural crisis in which we find ourselves. The next thing we have to do, we have to climb back up on that tower or stay up on that tower, and we encountered the illusions of culture. Tertullian, our church father said, Culture is filled with illusions, and he coined that phrase, the illusion of culture. And we know there have been so many illusions in the culture in which we live, in fact, in the culture of the world. How long did people believe the earth was flat? I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years. That was an illusion of culture, not accurate. How long did we believe that, my goodness, here is the earth and all the solar system revolves around the earth? We believed that cosmologically for a long time. We know it's not true. It was an illusion. It seemed to be true, everybody accepted it, everybody agreed with it, but it was false. That's what an illusion is. And then there's so many other illusions. There's an illusion that if the law says it's a-okay, You can kill a baby in the womb of its mother. That's an illusion. It is wrong. It is a sin against God. And by the way, while we're there, let me point out an example of systemic racism we hear so much about. Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger practiced and believed in the extermination of races that were inferior. Margaret Sanger was the prime person that Adolf Hitler followed in seeking to exterminate all Jews from Germany and for that matter from the earth. Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood And 64% of all Planned Parenthood clinics are located right in the middle of, or adjacent to minority communities. Minority communities. Now, what is the result of that? The result of that is out of every thousand females who get pregnant in the African American community, 400 of them end in abortions. In the Caucasian community, every thousand pregnancy, about 106 end in abortions. What does this mean? Why is that systemic racism? Because the African American community today, without Planned Parenthood and the so-called legalized abortion would be double its population in America. Instead of having thirteen. 13 million as they've had for many generations since Roe v. Wade, they would have 26 million. That is systemic racism we see right in our nation today. So there's so many illusions that we have out there. So we have illusions in our culture. And one gigantic illusion is Christians, the church, shouldn't be involved in politics. Let me tell you something. Have you ever read 1 Peter chapter 2? Have you ever read Romans chapter 13? Have you understood how Jesus spoke directly to authority about immoral laws, about immoral people, and he dealt with every single political entity in his day, as did Paul, as did Peter, as did John, as did all of them. What was that about? And then some wag said, you can't legislate morality. I love that one. Every time a bill is passed, somebody's morality is being brought into law. So the church You and I, Christians, had better awaken in this moment in our history. It is vital that we do. Let me tell you exactly where we are. We are under the authority of this book. First and foremost, nobody else's authority, nobody else's group, we're under the authority of the Word of God. But I can tell you something. This is a copy of the Constitution Bylaws on which our government was founded. This is a copy of the Democratic Party platform. If, if the Democrats come in power and this is enacted, you can take this and throw it up because it is no longer valid. It's no longer foundation. That's how radical this platform is. If anybody doubts that, read it for yourself. And they take names and they confuse them. Let me give you just a little excerpt as what the Democrats are now proposing. Just a little taste. Government control, nationalize health care. We know what that is. Yes, the Democrats are for it. Curtail the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Absolutely, they'll take away some of your guns, if not all of them. By the way, I-, I can't understand, in these cities, they're trying to eliminate the police. At the same time, they're trying to take away all of our guns. Does that make sense to anybody? That's exactly what's happening. Eliminate right to work. In other words, you gotta be a union, union member of union if you can be able to get a job here. Bail out spendthrift cities and states. Those cities who are way, way in bankruptcy, take our tax money and bail them out. That's exactly what they intend to do. Raise taxes. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? Biden said, I heard him, don't look at me. I'm gonna raise your taxes. Hmm. Reinstate the discredited. Iran nuclear arrangement agreement. We gave them enough billions. Make Washington, DC the 51st state. That's a wonderful thing to do. The most corrupt inapp run group of people almost on the planet, and we're gonna make states out of them. How about that one? <laughs> Let me tell you what they're gonna be against right here. So, Support energy independence with fracking and offshore drilling, they're against that. We'll be dependent on the Middle Eastern countries as we finally become independent. Oh no, they're gonna shut that down. Support and continue funding the police. No, 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 no. Enforce law and order against riots by Antifa. Oh no, they don't wanna do that. Support charter schools. No. They're going to be against charter schools. They want to eliminate charter schools and eliminate the right to choose. This is another example of the Democrats supporting systemic racism. You have minority areas, and they eliminate any way that those parents and take their children and put them in any school that they want to put them in, eliminate charter schools, eliminate private schools and other schools, and therefore they're bound there to get a poor education. How does this work? How does this work? It works because of the teacher unions. That's how it works. To try to go and take a teacher who is not called, who does not perform, and to fire her and to relieve her, you have to go through an act of Congress, through the unions, and spend all kind of money in litigation, and therefore through That is systemic racism of our minorities. They keep down and their kids are not getting education and we can pour another $60 billion. It will not change and we get rid of teachers who are not called and teachers who do not love and teachers who do not teach. That's what we have to do. (laughs) Support borders and immigration control. Progressives have said the minute they get in power, they will legalize 12 million illegals up to 20 million illegals. And they will welcome anybody who gets into our border and gets into our land. And they will not prosecute anyone who comes here illegally. So they will soon be citizens. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what that's like. I want to pick somebody out here. I'm going to give you 200 children that you have to support and look after and feed and clothe and educate. I'm going to give you that. You take these 200 children. We will be so overloaded from around the world. We can't stand, we can't exist as a nation when we have no borders. That's exactly what their plan is to do. It changes forever the demographic of this land nominate Supreme Court justices who interpret the Constitution? No, they won't do that. They want Supreme Court justices who take the Constitution and let it say whatever they want it to say. That's how they got same-sex marriage in the Constitution. That's how they got legalized abortion in the Constitution. Just kind of squirrely interpretation of something that's very, very clear. Maintain and protect historic statues and, and monuments? No. Support business opening safely through COVID-19. No, close everything up. Increase the number of Supreme Court justices. They wanna do that. Eliminate the electoral college. That's wonderful. Let the state of New York and the state of California elect everybody. Boy, that'll be beautiful. And make Puerto Rico a new state. Do you see how radical and how disastrous this would be to our America? All in the name of power. Socialism always starts like this, folks. Ask anybody who's lived in a country that has moved from a democracy to socialism and then to a dictatorship. It happens every single time. Well, we're talking about, let me say exactly what we're gonna lose quickly here. We're gonna lose our four freedoms we're gonna lose our four freedoms, all four of them. First of all, the freedom of religion. Well, surely we wouldn't lose freedom of religion, oh yes. You know what the Equality Act is? Already passed by Pelosi in the House. It's not law. The Equality Act says something very interesting. The Equality Act says that everybody should be given equal access to everything that is in our planet. Now, what, is, what has come to be seen by so many is that religious liberty is seen as a cover up for prejudice, a cover up for bigotry, and that is how it's interpreted. You so say, well, how in the world does that happen? Someone comes to me and they ask me to marry them, and they're of the same sex. And I would say, I'm a Christian. I think that is not biblical. I'm sorry, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. And that under the Equality Act would be a thing. I'm discriminating against that couple. Therefore, I've broken the law. What about freedom of speech? Do you realize if we were in Canada or in Europe, And we would simply stand up and say, this as Christians is what we believe. In Canada and Europe, that would be called hate speech. It's against the law. And and I would either go, go to jail, pay a big fine. That's what hate speech is. Hate speech is what you believe, I don't believe, what I believe, what you don't believe. It would be categorized as hate speech and then you lose the freedom of speech. Already, so many of us are frightened that we'll say the wrong word at the wrong time to the wrong person, and all all, all we have to say is use that magic little phrase, oh, I'm being pressured. I'm being disfigured. I'm being not understood, the freedom of speech is already rapidly being taken away from us and it will accelerate to warp speed. I promise you that. Our second freedom is gone. Well, what about freedom of the press? I mean, I'm telling you, we've got plenty of that. How does anybody lose a freedom, by the way? How do you, how does your children lose their freedom? Well, you let them go so far and you let them cut them loose and they free and then they begin to make wrong choices and you call back their freedom, don't you? I remember Ed went out with a car. The first time he took a car out on a date, he came in about an hour late. He lost a lot of his freedom. That's what happens when you exploit freedom and you misuse freedom, you lose it. And that's exactly what has happened to the press today. Listen, the press is supposed to what? Tell us exactly what happened objectives they can, and then you can have talking heads who can comment, comment and make anything they want to say of what happened, but at least tell us the facts. And our press is not doing that. A whole hunk of our press is not doing that. They're just not choosing to report things. This is where we live. And therefore, all these media outlets, you got Facebook. You know how many subscribers there are to Facebook? 2.2. Billion, did you get that? 2.2 billion, which is roughly one-fourth of the population of the entire world. And when they decide to discriminate against conservatives or alien views, you are living not in the United States where there's freedom of speech. You have moved to Russia and you've moved to communist China because that's exactly what they do. Exactly what they do. We will lose freedom of the press because the press has not been responsible in their reporting. The last freedom that we'll lose is the freedom of peaceful assembly. How are we gonna lose that? There's a lot of things you and I might wanna march on and I've marched. I've been out in the streets. We want to march on, but now we go and have the right of peaceful assembly to express what we think is wrong in the government or in the courts. We can't have a march of peaceful assembly because Antifa and others will co-opt that, and all of a sudden we'll not be in a peaceful march. We'll be in a riot where things are being destroyed and burned and, and it has anarchy in its bottom. So we can't have peaceful assembly anymore because it'll be taken away from us as it has been in march after march, and a march in city after city. So we lose our four freedom. All four freedoms, I think, are on the ballot. Now, as we're talking about all this, let's decide what's the job description of the president. Well, I think I know that, do you? The job description is only 322 words, description of the president. Look at it, we, we can't go over all of it, I abbreviate it. Commander in chief of the military, ensure laws passed by Congress are executed into force, grant pardons for crimes other than their impeachment. He has the right to do that. These other functions must be approved by the legislative branch. Make treaties, two-thirds of the Senate, nominated bachelors, Supreme Court justices, cabinet secretaries, et cetera, et cetera. That's a brief understanding of the tremendous task that's assigned to the executive branch of our government. We have the executive, we have the judicial, we have the legislative. And it's important that they balance and they counterbalance one another. And when you pack the Supreme Court with 15 or 20 justices, when the Senate and the House is totally dominated with a new demographic, if not now, in the future, by one view, and the president has one view and his progressive liberalism, let me tell you something, we've lost just about everything. We hold sacred and dear in this country. That's the jobs that are in the president. Then we gotta back up and ask a question. What do you look for in a president? How do you vote for the president? First of all, you look at the basis upon which they stand. You say, well, a lot of them, you know, they won't do all of this. They never, let me tell you something. Trump has sought to do about everything he said he was going to do. And I'm not a Trumpy, as some of you know. But this is their plan. If it's carried out, throw this away. And therefore, what kind of president do we, or do we need? First of all, we need a president who has vision. You gotta have vision in that job. Who passed in our presidency had that kind of vision? I'd say George Washington. George III in England, he replaced a constitutional democracy England had. He, he took advantage of that and it became the dictator of the land, became the king of the land. George Washington did not want that to happen. He could have been George I in the United States, but he had a vision of, of what this nation should be, and he ran away from position and went back to farming. George Washington, need a man who has vision. Also, he need a man who has discernment, put the right place in the right position at the right time with the right giftedness. And and somebody like that, I looked it up and I think the best example would be John Adams. John Adams put together a team in the executive branch and cabinets, et cetera, that was absolutely at that moment in time, magnificent. He had discernment. By the way, you know that's the one one quality that every leader must have. We've had leaders who weren't moral. We have leaders who were introverts, extroverts. But you got to have discernment, I tell you that. And John Adams had it. I want a president who has discernment. Also, I want a president who has Humility. Humility. James Madison was that one. He was called the father of our constitution. Madison said, no, I'm not the father of the constitution. I just called everybody together as a family and we wrote down the basic doctrine that we call out. He said, no, no, I'm I'm not worthy of that. Humility. Also, it's good to have a man who has integrity. When they speak, they speak the truth as they see it, as they know it. When they make a mistake, they back up and say, I was wrong. Somebody with integrity, Abe Lincoln, that's my man. Abe Lincoln was once asked in the Civil War, what do you think of General Whiting, one of his generals? Lincoln said, he's a man of great ability. He's one of my best generals. I trust him totally and completely. And one of Lincoln's aides put him one side and said, Mr. President, do you know what General Whiting is saying about you? He's saying you're a country bumpkin. He's saying you don't know what you're doing as president. He's saying you're dumb as a stump. Don't you know that's what Whiting's saying about you? And the president said, yes, I knew that. But the reporter asked me, well, not what Whiting thought about me, it's what I thought about Whiting. Integrity. That's what I want in a president. Also, I want somebody who's tenacious. To do that job, you've got to be tenacious. You've got to set your sights. You have to work, get up early, work late. You have to be driven. I want somebody who is tenacious. Who is that? I think it's Harry Truman. Man, Harry Truman was tenacious. Worked in a clothing store, gunnery sergeant in the First World War. I mean, Harry, there was no nonsense with him. He just fought, fought. He was a tenacious individual. And finally, what do we need? A man that has a heart for God. A president who has a heart for God Almighty. Oh, we need a man like that. Who would that be? I asked Billy Graham. I was with him not too long before he died and I asked him, of all the presidents you've known, he's known all the presidents from Truman all the way forward. Intimately, pastored them, prayed with them, cried with them, buried many of them. He knew all of these men very close. I asked him, I said, which president of all those you've known is the most Christ-like? And without blinking an eye, he said, Ike. I said, Ike. He said, yes. You remember your history, Eisenhower came back, the Second World War, and came back to the States. He didn't know if he was a Republican or a Democrat. He didn't know the difference, he, he was not involved. He didn't know whether he's a Christian or not. Billy Graham led him to Christ. He gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And through all of his presidency, and after his presidency, he and Billy Graham prayed together, cried together. Graham talked to him about heaven, about life, about children and I sought to walk with God, said Billy Graham, more than any president he's ever known. Now, do we not need a president who has these characteristics? We have one candidate, in my opinion, has none of these characteristics. We have another candidate that may have two. So what I've done, I've put together a cosmic picture taken from all of these six presidents, and I want you to see sort of what he looks like in a cosmic picture. And then, with the help of technology, we brought it down, I'm gonna tell you exactly what the president would look like if he had all those characters. This is what he looked like. Maxie, did you get into my <laughs> notes up there? <laughs> I'm gonna show you exactly what he looked like in a composite picture. he looked like this guy. That's some of all of them. But he's not on the ballot. He's not on the ballot. But therefore we get in our watchtower we vote and we try to see as God sees. We get on our watchtower, we see those illusions that are phony that we've been fed. We get on our watchtower and we see it is as illusion that we as Christians should not speak God's truth in the marketplace. Well, what about the separation of church and state? Do you know what that really is? It's not what it's purported to be. It's not what it is supposedly said to be in this document. There's no such thing the Constitution as a wall of separation. Jefferson merely was asked by a group from Danbury, Connecticut, and he responded and was to not make an official religion or denomination of the United States. No federal religion, that's what they had in England. That's what that is all about. There was no intention that the church could not speak into the government. You see that in all the institution in Washington, all the biblical phrases, the Ten Commandments, and it's foolish to say, there's a wall between church and state. That is invalid. It's not accurate interpretation by any thread of imagination. So, here we are, America. Our whole future's on the line. Our whole future's on the line. But we are, I believe, an exceptional, exceptional people. I believe in the exceptionality of America. Doesn't mean that we're the richest. We're so blessed, though, geographically with rivers and protection from oceans and natural resources. Oh yes, we're exceptional that way, but I believe in our Exceptionalism, I believe in American exceptionalism. You say, just exactly what is that? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that's American exceptionalism. They're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that's American exceptionalism. And among them are life, that's exceptionalism. Liberty, that's exceptionalism. And a pursuit of happiness, that is American exceptionalism, ladies and gentlemen. And therefore, we can pray again from our knees and from our hearts and from our souls. God bless America. He has blessed us. We didn't use that blessing to export his truth to everybody. But we say, Lord, just give us another chance. Bless us again. And that is my prayer today, that God will bless America. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountain to the prairie to the oceans, white with foam, Oh, our prayer is, God bless America, our home, sweet home. Stand and sing it with me, would you? Let's do it. God bless America, land. I her and guide her through, through the night with the light from above, from, from the mountains to the prairies, to the, 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 the oceans, white with gold. better than that. Want to try it? God, God bless America. America Sing it. Pray it. Stand beside it and, and guide through the, night. through the night with the light come along sing it. Here we go. From, From the bottom. mountains to the praise to the all-